The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It is Labor Day weekend. Uh, the second round of the real playoffs, uh, not Wait, counting I, the standoffs, is done. I thought training camp was just on the horizon. Oh, it, wait. it should be. <laughs> Shouldn't training camp be in like a week and a half? Shouldn't <laughs> Captain's practices should be taking place right now. <laughs> it, it is a little weird. I will say that. Uh, but uh, the, 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 the second round of the playoffs are indeed uh, uh, a thing of the past. And we have we are moving on to conference finals. And I have to say, even though there's no crowd and even though everybody's going to oh, this, that, uh, Hammond and Hahn, whatever, the games have been entertaining. I mean, every series going seven. Except one. Yeah, I'm trying not to bring that up, but okay, except one. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, have you had any uh, – are any of the remaining teams a surprise to you? I am a little bit surprised by Dallas. Yes, you and me both. Because realistically, I thought Dallas was the third best team but uh, in the West, and I thought the gap was well, Dallas not, has just decided to go. So. Not huge, but uh, I thought that there was a gap. Uh, I mean, Vegas, number one, a, a reasonable gap to number two with Colorado, and then a slightly larger gap to number three with Dallas. Um, it's not as shocking as if Vancouver had actually beaten uh, Vegas, but it pushed pushed them to seven games, though. And that I series was a lot of fun. I don't know. If Vegas has a lot of uh, hat. Ha- I mean, Vancouver has a lot of uh, uh, head hanging to do there. I mean, they they, they literally they pushed Vegas to seven. Vegas has got. And I don't know. I didn't go and and add up individual playoff games. How many play? I mean, yes, you've had Tanner Pearson and and Tyler Toffoli, who have both been involved in in cup wins with with the Kings. You got Alex Edler, who's been who was, or uh, you got Edler, who was there all the way there back in 2011. But uh, and then, oh gosh, the um, I mean, there's some playoff experience, but it's mostly. I mean, they're homegrown guys. No, none. But, oh no, yeah, yeah. The all the all the youngsters that they have: Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, uh, the Vertanens, the Tyler Motts. They all zero. Stetcher. This is their first time around. First. Um, they say that Stetcher, you know yeah. style clash makes a series. That was one of those series because the first game. If you only watched the first game, didn't hear anything else about the series, you could assume that Vegas won in four. Vegas brutalized them in game one. They physically dominated them and dominated the play in all three zones the whole game. They did. Yes, they did. I remember watching then, game one. It was it was. Seemed like quite the one-sided affair. I don't know. I got, I, I got the little, I got a little bit of the impression that the the Vancouver was a deer in the headlights there that first game, and once they shook that off, they were okay. 
And they shook it off immediately. I mean, the job that Travis Green did in the playoffs with that team, that very young core, that inexperienced roster is nothing short of amazing. Did they extend him yet? (laughs) Legitimately, that's a very good question. Um, I I was talking to someone on Twitter last night um, who was down on the team and people were, and I've seen a couple of people say, you know, that playoff run didn't mean anything. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, one, you're getting Brock Besser and Bo Horvat uh, and uh, Quinn uh, Quinn Hughes and the rest of those youngsters meaningful playoff experience very early in their careers um, and experience winning in the playoffs and losing to arguably the best team in the playoffs right now. Yeah, that's uh, huge. Uh, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we're we're going to have one of those days. No, I was just going to say that Travis Green, there's nothing there's nothing in the news about them extending him. And, and I do believe he has another year on his current deal anyway. Uh, so they may wait at least one more year. But, I mean, you look at all the headlines and, and – Travis Green showing maturity behind Vancouver bench, yet always learning. You know, what if the Ducks hired Travis Green as coach over Randy Carlisle? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the headlines the Ducks are. Ducks roster I mean, is a different place. Um, Travis Green says Stanley Cup is so hard to win it should hurt when you lose. I mean, it, it, the guy's got all the press coverage he can hope for. Travis Green not worried about the play of Quinn Hughes, how analytics helped him and the Canucks back in the playoffs. I mean. It's Travis Green, Travis Green everywhere, and it makes sense. I mean, here's a guy who has led a team that not a whole lot of experience, a little bit, not a whole lot, a lot of youngsters, a lot of fresh minds to mold. Uh, I mean, Elias Patterson and, and whatnot, just the whole thing and keeping all those youngsters in line and focused and going in the right direction. The guy's getting all the credit. The, the guy is – should be getting all the credit that he appears to be getting and deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. Um, you know, I don't often say this, but I, I sometimes wonder if there doesn't need to be a coach, a postseason coaching award. Um, and, you know, he would get it this year. I would No, think they're so. not going to the conference finals. No, they're not going to the cup. But of teams unlikely to advance, uh, even out of the pretend-offs, much less the first round, Vancouver has to be fairly high on the list. And he does have one more year left on his – 2021 is the last year of his current deal. So Jim Benning should be uh, uh, busy writing up a new contract or, or the lawyers, whoever. Yeah. And speaking of speaking of Jim Benning, he's another one. I mean, I think he needs a little bit of uh, I think he needs a little bit of the, the plaudits here as well. I mean, assembling a team that again, just the youngsters and and the way they've been moving and the way they've been going forward, 
he's done a decent job. The scouts are doing a decent job finding the youngsters. He makes moves like and they're finding like, them everywhere on the roster. He makes moves everywhere. like Tapoli and Pearson and and brings them in. The guy clearly is better at the job than I think he was uh, given credit for here in Boston. Granted, he wasn't GM; he was assistant or or whatever he was in the in the in the front office. But I thought he was. I thought he at least started in Boston as like the lead scout or whatever that position is titled. Uh, assistant GM, July 14th. He started in Buffalo, actually, as director of amateur scouting. So he's got a little scouting background too, which certainly. And then oh, Boston. He was director of player personnel. There you okay. go. Yeah. Then he was, for seven years, he was assistant GM, or just under seven years. And now he's been with Vancouver for just over six years. So he's had a little bit of re- years. Uh, he's had a little bit of rebuilding that, to do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that was six years. He that gives him. Um, is he the one who brought in the their uh, one of their goaltenders? Uh, we might be familiar with. Did he draft Thatcher Demko? Yeah, absolutely, he did. And that was April a while two, back, April two thousand sixteen. That was a while back. Uh, so or he was drafted in when was that your draft? He was drafted in fifteen, correct? No, he was his draft year was fourteen. So he was actually the very first draft that Benning was GM there. And Demko took him in the second round. Um, it's it's always hard with goaltenders to know when they're going to ripen. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think at least so far that that looks like a solid pick. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about goalies later. Mm-hmm. Um, just to put one final bow on Vancouver as a whole. Um, I don't necessarily think that getting into the playoffs, getting steamrolled and then uh, going home is all that valuable. And I don't I'm definitely against a push just make the playoffs. Um, no matter your hopes of winning even, you know, two games in that first round. Uh, but Vancouver has done more than that. They found a way to overcome two different opponents and take, as I said, I think the best team uh, still standing to seven games. Did they get their did they get pinned in their own end a little bit too much in game seven? Sure. They didn't get that many shots off. I think they were. I think they didn't get their tenth shot until sometime in the third period. But yeah, those, that happens when you play good teams, really good teams. While we're while we're here in Vegas, Vancouver, real quick, uh, on a I guess negative side. I don't know how else to. Uh, did, uh, Ryan Reeves did pick up a one game suspension. Uh, interesting thing here. I mean, and he hit Tyler Mott. I did not see the hit, so I cannot comment on the, the violence hit. of it. I did what see I, the hit. Um, it it's one of those hits. Uh, he was skating. He Ryan Reeves intended to make contact. And I do not personally believe, based on the fact that you know he's 
back was to Mott by the time, uh, you know, their bodies came together that he was intending to make the head, the principal point of contact. Um, but I'm not necessarily surprised that the league for airing on the side of, um, example setting essentially. The last time he was suspended was in 2016. The thing is, I'm looking at this uh, Hockey News SI story uh, written by a Ken Campbell, and it literally came out like 12 hours ago. Yeah. Um, and it says the league accept the the league says it accepts Reeves' plea that intent was there, but then talks about Reeves picking the head with force. Uh, it, it sounds and and the title of the article is NHL sends mixed message, and the thing is that they they suspended him one game and the NHL believes that one playoff game is worth two regular season games. So you start doing NHL math and you figure okay he's being suspended for two games, uh, but then it's a question of is one game too little for the type of hit that it was because they're trying to remove it and. Under league I policy. Guess it was, I guess it was okay because Tyler Mott returned to the game, so it was clear that he wasn't injured. It, I, it's all back and forth. I, I think that's what Ken Campbell is trying to say is that this this suspension and, and the events leading up, it's all kind of confusing. Well, you know? Ken Campbell loves saying that everything is a mixed message. Uh, and <laughs> Okay. Um. <clears throat> But that uh, with this one, I in in based on league, <clears throat> based on what the league has done over the last four or five years, I didn't expect it to be more than one game if there was a, spen- a suspension at all, because uh, Reeves in game got the five in the game, um, and. <sighs> By league standards, he is not a repeat offender. Yeah, his last so it's suspension really, was really hard. four years ago. It's really, really hard to bring the hammer down on him and make it look like you're being at all consistent. And whether you think they're being consistently stupid, consistently uh, underplaying it, your call. Um, but it, it isn't unsur- it isn't surprising based on what the league has done. Well, even the league agreed with Reeves' assessment saying in the suspension video that while we accept Reeves' argument that he does not intend to hit Mott in the head, Reeves hit on Mott as a match penalty and suspension seven days a week because it met the two most important criteria in Rule 48. Head was primary point of contact and it was avoidable. But then they go and, and, and... Angle to the boards by Stastny, and Reeves took an angle of approach to cut across the front of Mott's body rather than through his core. But then the league goes on to contradict itself by saying the following, quote, If Reeves wishes to deliver a check on this play, he must do so by hitting through Mott's shoulder and core rather than picking the head with force, unquote. And then Campbell goes on, which was it? Was it a reckless play or a deliberate one? And that's where I'm confused as well, because the message from Department of Player Safety, which didn't give any clarity. Well, there's pick both the sides thing. of the argument <laughs> um, there. There the league is 
the league is basing the suspension off of results, regardless of what they believe the intent to be, which is confusing every single time. It's confusing when your parents do it. It's confusing when your teachers do it, your boss does it, and the league is clearly following that sort of ham-handed example. Pick a reason and stop there. Don't justify it. Don't attempt to distract from it or tell people what they should have or shouldn't be doing in a similar situation. We know what an illegal check to the head looks like, mostly sort of kind of these days. Mm-hmm. If, I, I, if it's think, an illegal check to the head, stop there. Yes. Just stop. I think that for the most part, the general public knows what a hit to the head looks like. Yes. I also think that crushing hits tend to confuse fans because they look violent, but they're not innocent. They're not uh, violent, uh, intent to injure type acts. So, yeah. I think there are still those hits that do confuse non uh, fanatics of hockey, <laughs> the, the casual observer, so to speak. Uh, you watch, and we had that issue with the Bruins against Tampa Bay when we had one hit on one side with uh, Paquette hitting or Sorelli, whoever it was, hitting. Uh, Nordstrom or, or Kasha and, and then the other one with Richie two in the same game they look similar but yet only one of them resulted in any sort of lengthy penalty uh, which <clears throat> the average which even even highly observant and hockey fans might have an issue with yes some did <laughs> Beyond that, uh, entertaining series. Thatcher Demko, fabulous. Oh, we we got we got lucky. We got to see him while he was here at Boston College. <laughs> so what is, uh, with these new, what is with these New England guys anyway? Oh. What what do we think of the <clears throat> conclusion to the uh, second round? Ah, uh, the conclusion was that. Things seem to be, or, or a series all seem to be fairly even. And, and as much as I hate to say, I think the Bruins series was more even. I think the early exit by the Bruins, not necessarily indicative of the Bruins' capabilities. Yes and no. I don't think that there is any team that was hurt more by the pause than the Bruins. I think they still had my, my problem with it is I think they, I think they still had that sour grapes. Uh, we got screwed taste in their mouth with the whole seating bit. Yeah. I think that may well be part of it. Um, and, and I would say that it's po- possibly more the young guys than the older guys. Um, I don't think that Rask's exit helped anyone 
um, unless he was being a distraction during the players away from the arena time. Okay. Um, but overall, they were <clears throat> they were steamrolling teams on a regular basis in the in the regular season prior to the lockdown. Steamrolling. Yeah. They made teams look bad. They came we- back. How many good games, like not phenomenal, not, oh my God, why is anyone else even bothering to show up games? But how many good games did the Boston Bruins play in the bubble? Maybe. maybe two, 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 maybe three. You're more optimistic than I am. I, I would call it two good games. Fair enough. I mean, I, Which, I don't have an issue with that. Out of what, fifteen ish games that they played? Well, they played. They 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 had zero good games in that uh, round robin thing. Ugh. That would be zero for four, or was it zero for three? Excuse me. Either way. Then they played five games against Carolina. Did they? Okay. Did they? Did they sweep Carolina? I don't, I don't even think remember they swept Carolina. I thought it. I thought it was four to one, but anyway, yeah. So they played five games. That's eight. Then they played five games. So they played a total of thirteen. To have two or three, whichever number you choose to go with, and it very possibly since we both said two, let's stick with that number. Two out of thirteen really good games. Not going to get it done. No, that's that's not good enough. And whether you want to blame all of it on goaltending, whether you want to blame some of it on goaltending, you've got to. There is no reasonable way to blame it all on goaltending unless you're going to say that both goaltenders were terrible. I don't think that's reasonable. Um, Even if you completely toss out the the uh, round robin, Mm -hmm. which I'm perfectly willing to do. As a whole, the team didn't look good enough to blame the goaltenders, even in the majority. <clears throat> how many how many of the goals in the Tampa series were deflections in front? I mean, there was one wait, wait, game wait. where... Deflections for who in front? You mean Tampa Bay's goals being deflected in by Charlie McAvoy? There was one game where two of the goals went in off Charlie McAvoy in the same spot where he was providing a screen. And then he did it at least one more time. He at least three, at least three Tampa Bay goals were scored by Charlie McAvoy. Inadvertently or not, (laughs) the guy was clearly not in the right position if he's deflecting pucks in for them. And they talked about and they talked about. Uh, yes, did Halak let in a couple of goals that he could see? Absolutely, but Boucher talked a that, lot about screens, and and Halak couldn't see this. Halak couldn't see that. I which, would say that I specifically saw three bad goals by by Halak. Yes, and I'm not disagreeing with that at all. He he did struggle with some of with some of the e- easier shots that he should have stopped. But. Rask's numbers weren't any better. 
as you said, 904 save percentage? I mean, Tuka Rask is supposed to be one of the best goaltenders in the league. He's paid that way. He's had enough Vesna nominations and at least one win that he's supposed to be one of the best goaltenders in the league. A 904 save percentage would have been one of the best goaltenders in the league in the late 1990s. I think he was about eight years old at that point. So, top save percentage. Top save percentage. Uh, unfortunately, it's a Tampa Bay guy. 931, Vasilevsky. Uh, Robin Leonard dipped. He's down to a 918. But let's look. But let's look at what didn't happen for the Bruins in that series, or in the playoffs at all. Uh, do you rec- happen to recall how many goals Andre Kasha has? Uh, zero. It, that would be correct. I know because um, I really like Andre Kasha, and I was so glad when they brought him in. I I don't want to give him a pass, but I also do want to say that when they traded for him, he was still on the injured list or whatever you want to call it in hockey. In baseball, it's the injured list. It used to be the disabled list, but they've changed it for PC reasons. Uh, so he okay. didn't get a whole lot of time with the team. And then when they went in the bubble, they had all the controversial issues with, uh, whether he skated with somebody else and da 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 this, that he didn't have a lot of time to gel. He was actually playing better as the playoffs went on. I thought he played his best two games in the last two games of the series, honestly. Uh, yeah. But, um, okay. Do you happen to remember how many, uh, penalty minutes Charlie McAvoy had? How many penalty minutes? Yep. Um, no, 27. Uh, 24 in 13 games. That's as compared to his 41 in 67 games. Wait, wait, wait. That's. That's a penalty every game. Just Effectively, a, just yes. About, yeah, no. 24 and 13. Yeah, that's just about a penalty every game. That's not good either. No. No. Um, and as I said, that's compared to 41 across the 67-game season. Um, that's not going to help get things done. No. Um. Any idea how many assists Jake uh, DeBrusque had this uh, postseason? How many saves? No, no, no. Assists. Oh, assists. DeBrusque. Uh, one. Nope. Uh, it would be zero. Oh, wow. Versus in the regular season, uh, a regular season where he didn't necessarily look spectacular. And in 65 games, he played... He had 16 uh, with 19 goals. <clears throat> so reasonable season for him down, down a touch. Um, any idea what David Pasternak's shooting percentage was uh, this postseason? Six. Not a bad guess. Um, regular season, his shooting percentage was 17.2. Postseason, 
Oh, so close. Down a full 10% in shooting percentage. That's not going to get it done. Does anybody out there fully believe that he was 100% healthy during this postseason? I don't believe at any point that he was 100% healthy. Um, It's funny because when we were doing pre-show, talking about uh, a Haggerty story that they had, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, Pasternak's injury and, and, you know, and he mentioned last year with his, his thumb injury. Well, first of all, the thumb injury last year was his own fault. Uh, Pretty much. Whether yeah. it's whether it's clumsiness or whether it was brought about by uh, adult beverages or whatever, hopping into an Uber, I don't remember. But he brought it upon himself. But Haggerty went on to say that, you know, in the last two years, 34 playoff games – he had 12 goals and 29 total points. And, and that's great. not bad. 29 and 34, which is good. It's very good. But you need your number one goal scorer to be doing more than that. But what Haggerty is ignoring there is that 19 of those points came in 24 games last season, where even with the injured thumb, his shooting percentage was 10.98. So 11%. Much clo- uh, as close to his... Uh, regular season this year as it was to his postseason last. Uh, that's just not good enough. I think his I think his injury this this particular postseason had something to do with like a lower back. I mean they use LBI lower body injury. I think it was lower back injury. It, it, he clearly either he was and we talked about this too. He was either fast or nimble, but wasn't both. And when he was set up on the power play on his usual side, he wasn't cranking the puck at the net. It didn't seem to have the same velocity, and he was missing his target. And he wasn't he was hitting posts anywhere near and, as much, period. And, yeah, the, the movement just in general wasn't – didn't seem to be there. I don't remember uh, I, seeing him win a puck race, um, but uh, what was it? He just didn't look like himself. We watched him his entire career. He didn't look. He didn't look like himself. He didn't look like he didn't look like he looked in the regular season this year. Regular season this year, he was a scary goal scoring individual. He set up on that right side, and I'm not going to try and say that he was Ovechkin over there, but. When he set up on that side on a power play and the puck went over to him, more often than not, it was in the back of the net before you could blink. Yeah. And and it just I, wasn't happening in these playoffs. Whatever was going on with Sean Corelli, that did not help the team. Um, uh, the first time they sat him, I probably said some less charitable things than I should have uh, about various personnel uh, in the front office. Uh, and behind the bench, um, because he's a playoff performer. Um, but overall, as much as I hate the result of this season for the Bruins, mm-hmm. I'm not completely discouraged. Well, one of the things I heard uh, while while traipsing around the Cape uh, after they were eliminated was that. Uh, 
David Krejci wants to keep the old band together for at least one more cup run. He thinks that they still have uh, something in the tank and that they should uh, they should get crew back and they should, you know, you got Bergeron and Martian and, and Krejci and, and they need to keep the team together for one more try before blowing it up. You know what? Based on his performance, because honestly, this was his best playoff performance in a number of years. I'm largely okay with that. But what I think they need to do heading into camp whenever the next season, well, whenever the next preseason begins. Projected to be around the mid-November, November 17th. They need to decide that they're going to put together a second line or they're going to put together they're going to put more weight on the future they're going to give an entire season to some young players Studnika uh, Kuhlman whoever it is that they decide are going to play Connor on that Clifton. third line well he's a defenseman but Connor Clifton should definitely be around um, and give them a full NHL season of playing together, um, whether they're playing with <clears throat> Bergeron or Krejci or they're playing as your as a unit on a third line, and just let them let them get through the struggle of a regular season, particularly the ones who have now seen a postseason. And you know what? By the trade deadline, you've decided. To, you you should have decided whether they're good enough or not. And if they're good enough, great. You stand pat or close to it at the at the trade deadline. If not, you move them out. You go short term. Um, maybe you get a rental or a medium term piece with uh, and you're you prepare to move on um, having cashed in. You start building at that rebuilding at that point. Because, yes, Bergeron is 34-ish. Krejci is the same age. Um, Chara is 40 and growing. Um, Chara is not ready, based on what he said, is not ready to retire yet. Wants to come back. Chara won't be ready to retire if they amputate both of his legs in the middle of a game. I I don't disagree. I'm just... (laughs) He's come out and said that he's, or at least what I've read, he's come out and he wants to play another year. He's not ready to go yet. So, yeah, I, I agree. See, I, if- I was worried about him, though, because he just did not look. And I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a, a bubble and restart thing or, or if it was time catching up with it. He looked, he looked off. slow at times. He looked off. He looked. I, I don't know if he's missing his family, and a lot of them do. And, and and let's on that note, of all of the players, when we when we go back to watching to that Stanley Cup win re, uh, recap, of all of the players, whose children did you see? Whose children did I see? Team Go team. back to that Stanley Cup rewatch where they reunited the 2011 team. Whose kids did you see show up on camera during the uh, during that uh, oh, Zoom call? Well, Chara was there with his fam. He had his boys glued to him. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, he is a he he is, and 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 if you watch that Chara at one thousand or Chara at whatever it was special yep. that they had on the on the on Nesson, the the underlying message is that it is all about family. His father. It starts out with his father was his influence and yep. in in his in his 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 exercise and his his fitness ability and then he met tatiana and he was passionate so passionate that he spent like a year just trying to to get her to meet up with him he met her once and then it was, he still remembered her and then when they had the family and the kids are big with him and and they make decisions as a family family was the underlying theme of that whole show i this this has to have been for all of them, the single longest time that they've been away from their family. For a guy like Zdeno Chara, who is both enormously private, because you really don't see anything about him, except maybe him riding his bike around town uh, during the offseason, or even during the regular season, to have his kids glued to him in a public venue like that like the rewatch was a little bit surprising. And then to go from being with the kids all day, every day to not at all, not, not no contact with the kids, no contact with the wife. Um, Possibly. uh, What do they call that? The um, FaceTiming, but that's about it. Zoom calling or whatever. And no, no physical contact, no hugs, no, no hugs, no kisses from the kids. Good night. Nothing. That, yeah, that would be. And his kids are definitely old enough where, I mean, I'm not a baby person. Babies are cute. They're nice, but they don't interact. His kids are definitely old enough to interact and have vibrant personalities um, and to have, you know, their preferences and obviously their tantrums and their bad days to go with the uh, to go with all of the fun stuff. There they go. No, and, and watching it, yeah. If you watch again that that the show, it, he's interacting with them, he's playing with them. They're up in in some toy room that's loaded with stuff, and yet there's like a, a statue of dad, and they got a hockey net up there, and he's playing, and they're they're shooting the they're shooting balls around the room, and and. and so they interact with him not only you know just as dad they play they play hockey with him upstairs and it's yeah to not be around that at all to go from every day to not at all has got to be huge. I mean they still haven't decided they're only letting Canadian families into the bubble now. American American families still have to wait. So um, and the other part uh, the other question I think. Uh, is he's, and I think this affects a lot of players, um, and I suspect it's going to affect some of the older ones a little bit more. Um, not used to this much warm weather hockey. You know, the playoffs start in a normal year in April, and for most of the NHL cities, they're all usually done by now. 70s. <laughs> You don't really get hot until June. Mm-hmm. This started at the, the at the hottest part of the year. I mean, we started in the playoff bubble, like the, what was it, the beginning of July, middle of July? Yeah. 
that's even even though Toronto is not going to be and Edmonton are not going to be as warm as Boston or Tampa or uh, Dallas. Uh, it's not winter least, time. It, it's it's not winter. Um, it's not even spring. You're in summer. And, you know, you go in a normal playoff year in most again, in most NHL cities, you leave the arena, you go someplace cooler, whether it's outside or you go to the beach or whatever. Sitting in the hotel room, not the same thing. Uh, For that matter, I have to wonder for guys like him, the guys who are at the upper end of fitness dedication. Mm-hmm. because it would be rude to call it an obsession. Um, <laughs> I really wonder if they were getting as much physical stimulation and exercise as they're used to. I hadn't thought of that. There actually could be a lag there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because when you're aging, if you have any sort of arthritic issues, pushing that lactic acid out through activity is always important. Um, It builds up easier. If you're less active, there's more of it. So, you know, the pregame skate, it's a ritual. It's a certain number of minutes. It might take a 38 or a 40-year-old slightly longer than it would a 20 or 22-year-old to push all of that out. Yeah. One last thing. One last thing about the one last thing about the Bruins for me. Yep. And and it's just a fun little end note. It's nothing serious, but just want how many goaltenders had a worse save percentage than Dan Vladar? I want to say two. That, but that's just a guess. So close. Three. Dan Vladar had a better save percentage than Mike Smith, Antti Ranta, and David Riddich. (laughs) Wow. And, oh, by the way, he had the same number of wins as last year's goaltending Cinderella story, Jordan Bennington. They both had zero wins. Now, see, there's there's a story that I think we want to talk about (laughs) once we get closer to the offseason or once we get into the actual offseason again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that that's a really, really, really fascinating story that I want to be able to line up all of the facts on. Um, uh, oh, and five, five starts, no wins and an eight fifty one save percentage, which is, uh, memory serves, uh, decidedly ungood at any error where they've actually kept a, the save percentage. He was fabulous last year in the playoffs. Um, that said, <laughs> there you go. Let's Islanders and Flyers. Uh, I don't know how much of that series you got to see. Not for a lot. Me, if it for wasn't me, for Kevin, Hayes. for me, that was a series that I'm as close to neutral on as you're going to find. Um, when it comes to the on ice product, I like a couple of players on either side. Uh, I really, really like Barry Trotz. Um, there's the other guy on the other bench. 
<clears throat> but overall, less emotional about that series than any any other team that uh, made it into the second round. That was still a really engaging series to watch. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw from the Flyers. Um, but guess what I didn't see from the Flyers? And this is going to be a trend uh, extending backwards to uh, several other teams that had the same head coach. Star scoring? Pushback? Um, that's part of it. Uh, what I didn't see. Pushback, effort. Uh, adjustments. Adjustments. Did not see the in-game, in-series adjustments that, you know. I didn't you know, see that on the Boston board. either. Well, there was. <laughs> that team was out of sync. Uh, I don't. I, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, I think Cassidy is a really nice guy to talk to. I think he understands hockey better than eighty-five to ninety percent of the hockey coaches on the planet. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's in the top 20% in the NHL. Cassidy or Elaine Vigneault? Oh, definitely Cassidy. Elaine Vigneault is is clearly not in the top 20% in the NHL. He is superb at finding a team that has enough talent to be very competitive. And for the most part, not letting them ride on their own talent. He is superb at finding that team. Elaine Vigneault, for those who watch any kind of NBA, and it's possible that some of you might, but Elaine Vigneault reminds me of Doc Rivers. They are good coaches if they have a specific team, mostly veterans that they don't have to coach and teach and do it. All they have to do is stand behind the bench and call line changes. And I don't even oh, think and occasionally argue with the uh, officials. Yeah. But when it comes to in-game change, in-game changing up and everything else, not so much. And that's that's my impression. I mean, whether that works for Philly or doesn't, there weren't. And you're right, there weren't the in-game adjustments. They weren't scoring. I mean, Carter Hart, I think, did all he could. I have zero, zero complaints about Carter Hart in this postseason. Yes, thank you. I, and neither do I. Um, and I don't really think that anyone else should. Uh, I mean, are you expecting him to rush up ice and score a couple of goals? Or if well, so, I, I would adjust your expectations, Carter perhaps Hart's by fine. acquainting yourself with some facts. Carter Hart's final numbers. Uh 2.23 goals against and a 9.26 save percentage in 14 playoff games. Yeah, if with you're losing two, with, with a 9.26 save percentage across 14 games, probably not the goaltender. Yeah, I don't think it's goaltending's fault here. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, no. And, now, we talked last week or perhaps the week before about who the um, who the 
Conn Smythe nominee or leader would be from any given team. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the Islanders, has it really changed from Anders Lee? Mm, no. 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 <laughs> nope. Sorry, still it, Anders Lee. It, it's still Anders Lee. Yep. And I think that the I think that that team is if the if the Islanders go on to win. And I certainly think it's possible. I still think that Vegas has the best shot of everyone left. Uh, although <laughs> I think Vegas is <laughs> I think in Vegas, Vegas is the favorite. <laughs> although I, I think and, and, that Anton Hudobin is playing well enough to make anyone uh, uh, to to take four games from anyone uh, at this Dobin. point. Hmm. Wait, wait, wait. What's he got for numbers here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what? He's actually, I don't know if he's, he had a couple of games against uh, Colorado that might not have been as good for him. No, he didn't play perfect. Because he's only got a 909 save percentage and a 294 goals against. But Dallas also isn't letting many shots at him. He's not facing shots. Uh, total number of shots for him is. Now this is again in in 14 games, although he's only started 13 of them. But yeah, he's he's faced 449 shots. Where if you want to go back to. Carter Hart, in his 14 games, he faced 431. So he did. It's comparable. but I mean, Markstrom in 14 games faced uh, almost 491 shots. I mean, yeah. Vegas was peppering him. <laughs> yeah. In a couple of games, it was bad. So I, I, he's, not the, he's not the lowest number of shots against. But, yeah, he's... I, I don't. I, I think he has the ability. We've seen it here. I certainly think he has the ability to to backstop a team. I think he's going to need a little bit of help from the defense they, oh, in front of him. Oh, and they absolutely need to score more. They I mean, need that to was score more. That was a very defensive series against Colorado, which is somewhat surprising. And in my opinion, though, and and they've been talking about it on on NHL and on NHL radio and and on. You know, oh well, if you had the choice between Heiskinen and and Heiskinen and and Makar and and who was the other one, Quinn Hughes, which would you take? And everybody's like, oh, Miro Heiskinen would be the guy for me. No, I'm actually not putting him top of those three. I don't think that he plays enough defense. I mean, offensively you know great. What? He's got 21 points. It comes and, down to how they fit with the team. It really, really does. Quinn Hughes had 16 points in 17 games. Miro Heiskanen had 20, has 21 points in 16 games. Cal McCarr, 15 points in 15 games. You know what? Cal McCarr was a plus 12. Now, whether you like plus minus or not, uh, if you're a plus 12, you've been on the ice for more goals scored, which means you've done some defense. Cal McCarr has played 23 minutes. Uh, Quinn Hughes... Uh, 2341, uh, Quinn Hughes 2248, and Miro Heiskanen has the most. He has tw- almost 26. Uh, 
I don't know. You're right. It, it does come down to the team and how you how what your fit is on the team. But I don't think for me that he's the. I don't think for me that he's the the top choice. But anyway, back to Dallas. I'm sorry, I didn't. I just think that Dallas needs because they've got a lot of offensive defensemen. You've got Heiskin and you've got Klingberg. Uh, I'm trying to think of who the other one is. Uh, Alexiak is is like a two way defenseman. I just think they need more than that. Okay, if you could take one player from an eliminated Eastern Conference team and mm-hmm. add them to the Dallas roster for the rest of the playoffs, who would it be? One player or one defenseman? One defenseman. From a retired Eastern Conference team. For me. And I, wait a minute, let me uh, go ahead because I'm forgetting actually where this guy is right now. Oh, okay. Eastern Conference team. Uh, oh, no, I was right. Uh, I would, uh, I would take Justin Braun. Really? I, I I loved Braun's defense, and I think adding him uh, to that team, particularly where he already played with Pavelski, um, so there's at least some familiarity with one of the players. Mm-hmm. Perfect fix. Uh, perfect mix. Interesting. I don't know. I was thinking. I was thinking Jakob Slavin. Never a bad choice. I just think that. Pure dedicated defense. I'll take Braun. Fair enough. I'm not gonna. I, I I don't have a a decent enough argument against it. That's for sure. I I just I love I love Slavin's all around game. That's why he's the number one defenseman in Carolina. Uh, effort, ability. He he can be not only a shutdown defenseman, but he. He's quick, uh, quick getting the puck out of the zone. Uh, that first pass, first pass out of the zone is usually a strong one. It, it, but yeah, Braun for strictly defensive purposes, yeah, I would, I, I can't argue that. I just um, think so that think I just think Colorado overall in that series. I. I think Colorado was exposed a little on defense. Mm-hmm. I think that Pablo Frenzos is not the number one, is not ready to be a number one. No, no. I think that Michael Hutchinson didn't prove anything except that he had a really good game. <laughs> You're aware that he actually played in one of the games, right? And they won. I, I am absolutely aware that Michael Hutchinson played. Um, and that they won. <laughs> and and I think that if you shut down that top line, you have a, you have the ability to beat them on any given night. I, wasn't it that um, McKinnon had issues scoring the first couple of games or something like that? Yes, yes, he did. So I, that's my thing is shut down the top line. Uh, defense was exposed, and their goaltending needs to be uh, short up a bit. Okay. 
uh, and looking forward, um, which of the two conference finals, um, and that's Dallas, uh, Vegas, and then out in the east, it's um, Tampa Bay and the Islanders. Which of these series do you expect to be shorter? Wow. Um, Western Conference. Interesting. I just think that I don't know that Dallas did. Dallas did good things against a team that was more offense oriented. I think that against a team as evenly balanced as Vegas appears to be, I think Dallas is going to struggle. Totally fair. And I um, think that I think the Islanders can do to Tampa Bay uh, what Boston didn't appear to be able to do, and that's slow them down a little bit. I think that they, I think that they're going to be able to muck up the middle a bit and and slow down their zone entries. And I think that that Barzal, Beauvillier, Anders Lee, uh, they've got goal-scoring capabilities, and they they park in front of the net. I I think that that one might be a little bit more evened out. So, yeah, I'm going to go Western Conference will be shorter. Totally fair. Um, You? Okay, I— In ranking the head coaches left, I think we're in agreement that Barry Trotz is the best coach. Mm, Yes. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) I think our disagreement is probably going to come down to how we would rank the other three. Who would you think is the next best coach? Remaining. Oh, goodness. As much as I don't want to say this, uh, Peter DeBoer. Okay. And. <laughs> okay, Rick, so who do you Then put- Rick Bonus, then John Cooper. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I don't like John Cooper. I'm sorry. Uh, I. Cooper was going to be number four for me, um, but you think you bonus know, is better than DeBoer? I mean, it, th- that one almost could be a toss-up because bonus stepped in this season with the interim tag after they got rid of uh, after was it Montgomery was gone? Uh, yes, or, or Hitchcock was gone. One of the two. I can never remember which one replaced which one. I know Montgomery had the a personal issues and he was relieved of duties. But I can't remember if that was when Bonus stepped in or if Hitchcock was in between. And for that, I apologize. But Bonus, what he's been able to do with Dallas and what he's gotten out of them, uh, you can't uh, can't knock him for it. I mean, his time here in Boston as head coach was not the greatest, but everybody deserves a second chance. (laughs) What did he have for a roster at that point? Well, there's that too, yeah. Um, 
how and how much of an impact do you think coaching is going to have on these final three series? Uh, I think more than I think it's going to have a bit of an impact. I, I think that uh, your in-game adjustments, like you were saying with with Philly and their and their lack of in-game adjustments against the Islanders. Uh, we're going to have to see if Cooper can can do that. Uh, we know Barry Trotz can. <laughs> yes. So I do believe that head coaching is. I mean, Bonus and DeBoer is going to be a an interesting head to head matchup. So yeah, I think head coaching. I think there is going to be some uh, some interesting calls as far as timeouts made and and or not made or not made and what. I I think that that's going to come into play. And probably a silly question, but I kind of want to see if we agree. Um, where, or where is, where is where is coaching most impactful in the regular season or in the postseason? I. I believe that it's more impactful in the in the postseason only because of the decisions and again the in-game adjustments that need to be made because you're under that additional stress that additional uh, pressure to do the right thing or make the right call when when is it appropriate to use a timeout you know you, you give up two quick goals in succession even though it's middle of the second period do you call your timeout then do you try and ride it out a little longer I, I think that that type of coaching, the decision making is more important in the postseason because you have a finite number of games in which to make an impact. I don't disagree with your thinking, just your conclusion. I think that it's more visible in the postseason. I think that part of the uh, what I think that the regular season is actually more important <clears throat> because the regular season is when coaches build habits in their players and teams. They learn the temperature of the room, uh, as some people would like to say. Um, they build the trust of the roster, um, and they get they get buy-in. It, it's too late to get buy-in in the postseason. It, it okay. just doesn't happen. No, I can't. Dis- I can't disagree with that. With that taking. Uh, with that with that take on it either. Yes. As far as teaching and, and establishing what the roster is going to do, how they're going to do it, who's working with whom establishing that, that, that chemistry or, or guiding it. However, that makes sense. I was just in terms of impact. Oh, it's absolutely like more visible uh, in, in the postseason. season. Uh, 100% more visible. Uh, but I don't think you can suddenly establish new habits, and I think this is why a lot of teams that go big at the post or at the trade deadline and bring in, you know, five, six players, especially if they're going to be playing in their top six and their top four, um, I think fall apart and fail miserably. And I agree. I think if you're making that many changes to a team that. If you're buying like that, you're already in a position, a playoff position, 
whether it's first or second or whatever you if you're buying that many players you're actually going to negatively affect the locker room the chemistry the on ice uh, instinct that the team yeah. you've already got has established now they've got to rework the whole thing because you just brought in a handful of guys you want to bring in one or two impact players depth players whatever it is that's one thing but if you're bringing in five six guys and you're the number one number two number two team number three team in in your conference yeah no that's that's a mistake you shouldn't be bringing in that many guys if if you're worrying about a playoff run and you're already in first place (laughs) yeah i yeah i don't i don't uh i don't 100 percent believe or i don't in any way believe that it's possible for that uh What's essentially an o- a roster overhaul at the deadline uh, to succeed, not without in a ridiculous amount of help. Um, no, that, uh, that number of players coming in should be the team that's selling. You're selling your number one or number two player, and you're getting back three players in return. That you know that that's the way it should be. Yes. You know, you're building for the future. You're you're whatever it is you're doing. So, predictions okay. time. Oh, goodness. I think I already know where I'm going with this one. Uh, I'm going to start uh, in the West, and I will go Vegas in six or less. In the East? In the East? Mm-hmm. It's going to go seven, and I think it's going to be the Islanders. Isles in seven? Yeah. We actually agree there. And yours? For me, in the East, I actually agree. I think it's going to be the Isles in seven. I, I... I see John Cooper failing. <laughs> and, and that's what it comes down to for me. Um, I genuinely believe that the roster in Tampa is superior to the Islanders roster. There they go. Uh, it, I think the most glaring difference is in goaltending. That said. Vyalamov against Vasilevsky? It, it may not be a huge difference. Um, but they've been platooning Vermolov or they've been platooning Varley and Grice, uh, for, it feels like, uh, Grice has been part of the goalie platoon there for 10 years, but, um, the, uh, the, the lightning know who's going to be in goal every single night until, you know, he dislocates something. Uh, do I think it 100% matters to the Islanders who's in goal? Not not, really. not not seeing the way not not seeing the way that uh, uh yeah what's his name there Grice not seeing the way Grice played in the last couple of games I mean and he was he was part of the three headed monster when Halak was there as well he had Grice you had Halak and they had the that Christopher. Gibbons. Yeah. And and then it was just Grice Halak, and they kept going back. Uh, even Trotz went back to Halak. Uh, 
I mean, back to Grice a lot. I think that he's perfectly capable being a number one or a number two. He's got in, and it's not a huge, but he's got in three games played. He's two and one. Uh, 960 save percentage, a 1.08 goals against average. Again, like I said, not huge, not huge sample size, but Thatcher Demko has actually been in four playoff games for Vancouver, just as sort of a comparison. He's got a 985 save percentage and a 0.64. Wow. Why the hell weren't they starting him more? (laughs) Well, leaving aside that he was their third, fourth option, and Jacob Markstrom actually had... I don't like calling it a career year. Jacob Markstrom was... 919 save percentage. Not fabulous in the playoffs, but pretty. But better than we've ever seen him, really. Yeah, 2.85 goals against. A little on the high side, but still went 8 and 6. Uh, okay. He faced, like I said, almost 500 shots. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so, Isles in 7. Like I said, I think Cooper fails. And Vegas. This may be a shocker, but I think they're going to do it in five. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, But Dallas has played defensively well enough that I can't see them being swept. And I think Vegas can do what Colorado couldn't. I think Vegas is going to expose them. They don't score. They don't score enough. Yes. And Vegas has just been. Wow. And it's not like Leonard, and we talked about Leonard's numbers. It's not like he's got huge numbers either. I mean. But he's been clutch. He's still under two goals against average, which, as we've discussed before, is a quote-unquote team sport. But he's got three shutouts. All against Vancouver. And he's only faced, and this might be the key, in 12 games, he's only faced 293 shots. So he's a relatively fresh goaltender. They don't give up a lot of rubber on the goaltender. Um, <laughs> I, I, I said this even – I said this probably halfway through the last round. This The cup is at this point Vegas is to lose. I they are the most talented, most balanced, most complete team left, and they have the best goaltending tandem left. Even they also up. have a solid coach. Even Mark Andre Fleury, and he's been involved in three games, and he started all three of them. He's three and zero. Oh. Yep. And he's got a sub ninety save percentage. He's an eight ninety three save percentage, two point six seven goals against. So even in games where the goaltending isn't fabulous and Marc-Andre Ferrari has been less than fabulous, they still won all three games. Yeah. So they do it in different ways. I just I think they expose Dallas and, and I think that it's going to be a quicker series. Dallas, to me, has too many guys who have underperformed and like Tyler Sagan didn't get his 
uh, first or second, I think it was second goal of the playoffs until the second or third game of last round. We've seen Tyler Sagan explode and have great games. He is perfectly capable, and I don't care who the goaltender is, I don't care who the defense is, of putting up a four or five goal night and winning it, and essentially winning a game single-handedly, it, it, at least as far as the goaltending uh, goes. Uh, Corey Perry, 100% capable of getting in the opposition's head and causing them to take stupid penalties and to forget to play and to go after him. Um, Joe Pavelski, we've seen him uh, back with uh, the Sharks and now with uh, now with Dallas. We've mm-hmm. seen him take over and absolutely win periods, maybe tip the balance in games. I, I, I'm not saying that Dallas is a bad team. I don't think they are. But Vegas is a train. Uh, yeah, and you don't want to be standing on the tracks at all. Uh, your number one, number one goal scorer on number one goal scorer on Dallas is actually a tie between Pavelski and Denis Gurionov. Both of them only have eight goals. Yeah, I mean that's about uh, one goal every other game. Your number one actual point getter on the team is the defenseman Miro Heiskinen with 21 points. Who really has played a really, really good um, postseason. And he has. He's getting the acknowledge. He's getting the the. He's getting the recognition. He's getting the acknowledgments. I've seen it. I he mean, goes- whenever, whenever next season starts, and write this down because this is the. Super bold going out on a limb prediction of the year. Mirror Heiskanen's name is going to come up in consideration for the all-stars. I know groundbreaking, shocking, but it's going to happen next year for next year. When the season opens or whenever they get around to putting the all-star ballot together, usually it's like two months before the all-star game. Mm hmm. His name will be one of the four or five players from that division who are on that first on that landing page uh, when you log into the NHL site to vote. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with. I think it's perfectly capable. Uh, And it's not that I don't like him. I just yes, I don't think that. uh, I I think he's not the. Defense first defenseman that both of us greatly prefer. So every single skater on Vegas has at least one point. 21, 21 skaters and the bottom three, Patrick Brown, Nick Holden, and John Merrill all have one point apiece. Uh, yes, the number one point getter on the team is also a defenseman, Shea Theodore. He has 16 points in 15 games. It, it's the scoring here is a little more evened out, I think, because again, Alex Tuck, number one in goal scoring uh, for his team, he's got eight goals. Mark Stone six, Shea Theodore six, Pacioretty five, Smith four. I always thought Smith had more than that, but still, 
he's point eight seven points per game. It, it they're just a more balanced team. And then yes, you look at the goaltending and you look at the defense. They're they're more solid. I think they're more solid defensively in Vegas. Yes. And 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 by the way, I really like Zach Whitecliff. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I think you mentioned that in literally every <laughs> conversation we have about Vegas. Um, well, he's seems to be a good kid. I don't know. <laughs> I like his effort. I like his. I mean, he's 23 years old. He's He's young. He's talented. I don't. I just. I. I like. I like his game. Oh, there is someone uh, from Dallas that we really should talk about. Um, Ben Bishop. uh, Nope. (laughs) Okay. Um, A certain person who shall remain nameless uh, talked about. uh, Called him a flash in the pan um, uh, before (laughs) the show. I don't remember I, who it was. Um, yeah, you could say it was me. It's all right. <laughs> but the playoffs seem to be the the time of year when unheralded players have extraordinary moments. Cam McCarr. Um. See, I yes, he last Cam McCarr is year. simply one of the most unheralded players to ever grace the NHL. Were you expecting, and, and I'm talking about last year, his first play, his first taste of NHL was in the playoffs, and were you expecting the outcome that he that he exhibited in last year's playoffs? I wasn't. You put, you throw in this 19, 20, 21 year old kid, whatever he is, into hey, here's your first, here's your first taste of NHL life, and oh, by the way, it's a playoff series. Merry it Christmas. was surprising without being shocking to me because he's a really, really natural fit for that team. That team is a very up-tempo, fast-skating, um, slick-passing uh, offensive force. Mm-hmm. That pretty much describes Kale McCarr from one word to the other. And more importantly, Kale McCarr came right out of the NCAA playoffs where while it's not NHL quality, it may be the closest thing that you're going to find because you don't get to, uh, you know, the elite eight or the frozen four or whatever you want to refer to those last dozen or dozen or so teams as without a really solid coach, someone who could be coaching in the NHL um, at least two or three guys who are at minimum borderline NHL talents um, on your roster and playing against very similar quality teams. Um, So it was, it was a very, very pleasant surprise to go from watching him in Manchester to watching him uh, in Colorado. And I forgive me, I forget who they actually were playing last uh, postseason. Um, it feels like it was 19 years ago at this point. Um, it was it was a very pleasant surprise, but I can't call it astounding or anything like that. 
not the surprise of, of the man you're talking about, the young man you're talking about, Joel Kiberanta from Dallas? Uh, not quite the surprise of undrafted Joel Kiberanta, um, who went from uh, playing, let's see, he played all of 11 games for the Stars during the regular season, had one goal, mm-hmm. to having a hat trick and essentially deciding game seven. Because that's what happened. He had a hat trick, and they move forward. He doesn't have that hat trick. He doesn't have that phenomenal night. Might have been the Avalanche playing, uh, playing the Vegas Golden Knights in in the next round. You can say, oh, someone else would have scored those goals, but someone else has to have. On that night, in that place, the timing, the the legs, the hand-eye coordination to hit all three of those goals. That night it was him. Um, the fact that it's an undrafted player for me just makes it even better. Um, I think it's going. I think that when you start looking at some of the undrafted players who have had enormous impact over the years. Um, and yes, I want to see him do it a little bit more. But I mean, three that a couple of other guys that spring to mind, obviously, uh, Marty St. Louis, undrafted, uh, Hall of Famer, um, arguably one of the top uh, 30, 35 players in NHL history. Okay. Tory Crew, undrafted, one of the best uh, offensive defensemen in the league in the last half decade and change. Um, there's, uh, I think that there's a deeper pool of NHL worthy undrafted players than I only have. I, I, I'm, I only have one issue with this. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that, it's the same thing. Well, for me, it, it's it's a similar issue to Panarin and Kubalik. Joel Kiviranta is 24 years old. He's got lots of experience. Yes, it's in Europe, but so did Kubalik. So did Panarin. When you start hitting mid 20s, and you've played as much as you have in other leagues. I lose a little surprise. Yes, it's the playoffs, which boosts it back up a little bit. But he's mid-20s. He shouldn't be as doe-eyed or, or, or deer-eyed or bambi-eyed or whatever you want to call it. I don't care. As a 20-year-old who just finished his college and now he's playing in the playoffs, such as a Kale McCarr or a Quinn Hughes who had all season. This isn't his first. He didn't play. He didn't have playoff experience before this because he didn't have NHL experience. And I think he but played this is like his first. This is still his first season in North America, a season that got interrupted by the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so did Kubalik. So did Kubalik's. But Kubalik got to into more games in the NHL. And as a, a Kubalik was a drafted player, he was expected to be in the conversation for the Calder. Uh, 
Kubalik was drafted in the seventh round in 2013. Still, he had played in. <laughs> so he had still yes, played was he in, drafted in the sure. system and was a known quantity? Was he drafted? Sure. Seven years ago, and almost as an afterthought at the end of the draft. So, yes, he's slightly ahead of. of I'm not saying that Kibberant, what Kibberanta did is is not surprising, is not unexpected, is not uh, is something to get excited about as far as the future of hockey. I just I don't know that I'm ready to. If he was 19, 20, even 21, and I just think that it's the mid 20s thing and and the extra experience that he's had that that kind but of tempers it a little bit. He more. wasn't even playing in a top league. The Finnish league is solid, but it's not like he was playing in the KHL or the Swedish Hockey League. Okay. I mean, you can make the argument that it's a bigger jump from the Finnish league to the NHL than it is a jump from the from Hockey East or uh, to the NHL. But before I, getting into before playing for Dallas Stars, he played 48 games for the Texas Stars. So he spent. He, I mean, this is his first year in North America, but it's not as like as I said. It's not like these three playoff games that he's starred in, and I don't even know if it's starred in. He's averaging like 11 minutes a game. It's his first taste of playoffs in any league yes. he's been in, yes. But again, it's the it's the mid-20s thing that just... So you're more it, wrapped up in his age than anything it temp- else. Okay. It just tempers it. It's not his age, okay. it's his experience. You know, really, it is. You Except he doesn't call have it what any you want. playoff experience as an adult. But okay. Call it what you want. It's it's just experience in general. Yes, playoff experience it's doesn't matter. It's your little bugaboo getting in the way of celebrating a great performance. Neither did Kubalik, and Kubalik had a hat trick in his first playoff game. But did his hat trick decide a playoff series? No. No, it did not. Was it in a game seven? No. Did Kubalik have Jamie Ben and I don't even know what line he was on. I Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> so you're just blowing smoke at this point. Sure uh, not. Anyways, before we wrap the show, we can officially call this playoff year this playoff uh season the year of the goaltender, right? Well, last time I looked there have been in these playoffs alone, 41 goaltenders used. Which is... I think wow. that's a little high. I could be wrong. I mean, admittedly, we started off with 24 teams, but that's still almost two goaltenders per team, even counting the ones that uh, were only in the pretend ops and then went home. Um, that's a huge number. That's a really big number. Goaltender, yeah. If I remember, we've got goaltenders, playoffs. Yes, we have 41 goaltenders. You have everyone from obviously Vasilevsky and Hart and Varlamov, who have played in you know 13, 14 games. Markstrom appeared in 14 games, down to uh, 
Dan Blader and uh, some of the yeah. other guys who appeared in like one you got, three. You got five guys who appeared in one game: Smith, Riddich, Blader, Tristan Jari, and Igor Shosturkin. All the way up to yes, three, four guys who appeared in all fourteen games for their team, and Hudobin, Hart, Rylamov, and Markstrom. Vasilevsky in all thirteen games for his team. I mean, it's yeah. It, it, it's but, a lot of goaltenders. Yes, we've had extra teams because you had the round robin and the and and the the qualifying round before you had traditional. If you go back to last year, 2018-19, there was 22 goaltenders used. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. On ice stories. We've had what one suspension, maybe two. Uh, we had the Reeves suspension. Reeves was suspended. Somebody we had to Rask pop the bubble. Has there really been a more consistent from series to series, game to game, round to round position or influence on the series, good or bad? Than the goaltending. You had guys like Hudobin and Demko and Hudobin has take Hudobin, who's basically taken the spot from Bishop, and and it, according to this, Bishop has appeared in four games too. Because uh, he played, he got injured, or he was injured. He came back. He got injured and/or outplayed again. And Bishop has appeared in three games. Not well. Eight four eight four four save percentage. Five four three goals against. Awful. You had guys like Alex Stalock who took the position away from uh, Devin Dubnik. Uh, whether it's the coach's decision or not, you say Saros took the job away from Pekarine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Carey Price it looked like Carey Price of what five seven years ago. Yes. <laughs> Robin Leonard is Robin Leonard and took the job away from Mark Andre Fleury, which is probably the biggest deal that we've had this postseason. Oh, uh, and his agent uh, and Alan Walsh. Alan Walsh is just a funny, funny guy. <laughs> Alan Walsh uh, lacks nothing in the way of um, drive for his clients' financial well-being. Absolutely, he was out there tweeting for Halak every time Halak made a save, every time Halak stood on his head. Uh, you got guys like Jacob Markstrom who have suddenly made Benning's job a little bit more difficult. A little as bit to more difficult he... and a little bit more secure. Well, that too, yeah. But, I mean, Thatcher uh, Demko? Thatcher Demko had, had 985 save percentage. Nine. Uh, hold on, let me. I'm, I'm going to repeat that number just because... But wait, Chris, yeah. he's like 25 years old. I mean, that's not nearly as impressive as if he were like 19 or 20. Ah, oh, that hurts. All right. I'm sorry. I think a .64 goals against and a 985 save percentage. Team stat. He allowed two goals in four games played. All of them, to, uh, both of them to the same person as it happens. Well, yeah, there's that too. Maybe we should be throwing that guy a party. But seriously, and and one shout out just to throw that in there. 
yeah, Thatcher Demko is going to make it difficult to decide what to do with Markstrom. But Markstrom himself, it, it, it's just, do we trust Sergei Bobrovsky? This, the, the goaltending is so upside down. The only thing we know for sure is that Pittsburgh's goaltending is not that good. Uh, I think that's that that one is safe to say yes. <laughs> I think you know it, it, is James Reimer a better goaltender than Peter Morozik? Uh, yeah. Numbers wise, okay. no. But <laughs> if your if your goaltending decision comes down to James Reimer or who was the other one, Morozik, your your question you're asking the wrong question. It's who do I replace these two with, not do I go with this but, one or this one. But wait a minute. It's not like either one of them had terrible playoffs. But they're not Marazic, consistent. Marazic they're not had healthy. a 929 save percentage. Reimer had a 934. Stanley Cup run. I think the problem with that no, is no, no. that. Stanley Cup run. Yeah. If you could pick either of those two goaltenders or someone else who played six or more games this postseason. Uh, but the, pit, the here's the thing. In the Stanley Cup final, you're going to be automatically start down one game if you choose anyone other than Morazic or Reimer. Are you still picking Morazic or Reimer or are you taking someone else? <laughs> Darcy Kemper. <laughs> I'm taking someone else. Even knowing I would start down a game, I would take someone else. I do not well, trust either of those goaltenders to stand up in a game six, a game seven, and be capable of doing 80% of what it takes to win. You said you said it appeared in at least six games, six yep. games or more. So your choices in that you have 15 choices, believe it or not. Yep. You have Franzos, Grubauer, Holtby, Kemper, Crawford, Corpusalo, Halak, Price, Talbot, Leonard, Vasilevsky, Hudobin, Hart, Varlamov, and Markstrom. And I'm taking very nearly all of those guys over uh, Reimer and Morazic. Holtby had a 9.06. Crawford a 9.07. Halak a 9.02. Well, we won a cup. Uh, Crawford's won a couple. Yep. Hope he's got one. Uh, let's see. Oh, Carey Price. Oh, wait, no cups, but a 936. His goal, his goals against average was a 1.78. Hello. <laughs> it this goaltending, this playoffs has been just a. a a boom for watching goaltenders, good, bad, and different. Uh, you can cream rises to the top, whatever you want to call it. it. It's been, I enjoy watching the goaltending sometimes more so than, and definitely more than most people, but sometimes uh, just to see what they're going to do. It's yeah, this has been a year for goaltending. There's no other way to really say it. I mean, like I said, 41, 41 goalies appearing in in these playoffs. Yep. Whether you want to, whether you like the the formats that they've had with the playing, and certainly I don't think they're bringing it back. No, please no. 
<laughs> Please no. You don't like round robins and play-ins and there the way that they executed it did not it was wrong. It looked the play-ins looked solid. Mm-hmm. The round robins were god awful preseason hockey. Literally no one caring. Uh, I mean, to make a comparison, it's that on average, it's that fourth NH uh, or NFL preseason game anytime after the first quarter. It looked like a bunch of guys who know they're going to be cut before they make it to the bus. Um, <laughs> and it was just terrible. The round robins were terrible. Yeah. Um, so there really isn't any other way to put it. They were. Not. Okay. So who, who are your two favorite goaltender stories this, uh, uh, this postseason? My two favorite goaltender stories. Yep. Um, the emergence, uh, or, or the, the, the blossoming of Robin Leonard. Because and? he's just. What he's done this year, the chances he's been given, yeah, I mean, and I, uh, I think the second one would have to be the emergence of uh, the surprise play of Anton Hudobin taking over the job of uh, from Ben Bishop. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, number one is somewhat surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this guy uh, a number of times over the years. It has to be the reemergence of Carey Price. Um, oh, yeah, that, I... With as as spotty as his play has been most of the last three or four years, the fact that he could come in after the break and look like a world-class goaltender again um, on highly unfamiliar territory. Um, I mean, compl- the, the playoff bubble experience is absolutely undiscovered country. Yes. Um, the fact that he looked that good, even after they lost their head coach, um, that bodes well for the franchise and for him. And it makes that contract look less bad. I'm not saying it completely redeems it, but it gives you believability that if they add one or two people and two or three people on that roster, take steps forward that they are a legitimate cup contender. Um, so yeah, Carrie price, Coming back from the the press level, uh, it, it calling it coming back from the dead is a little over dramatic, but it tells it tells me that they don't have to rush Caden Primo to the NHL level. And <laughs> I, I would have to agree that um, Robin Leonard is the other real story. I mean, no disrespect to any of the other goaltenders. 
Markstrom having it turns I, I out to be his this, second this, best NHL playoff run. It's still it it, it just in um, general. The, the stories, yeah, and I, I, I wasn't completely ignoring Carey Price. I mean, I've talked about it uh, when it was happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, how do you? But, uh, I mean, Thatcher Demko, that's a great story. Thatcher Demko. It, I mean, you have a guy who hasn't I, – I don't remember that he'd actually – had he actually played in the playoffs before this? Yeah, he'd gotten in all of 10 games before uh, in the regular. Oh, no, no. He played 20. He didn't play 27 games, but he hasn't played an actual playoff game <laughs> since two seasons ago in Utica. I've got an honorable uh, mention for you, though. A true honorable mention. Go for it. Semyon Varlamov for the Islanders. Most playoff games he's seen in his career is this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second, the second number, the highest number was in 08-09 with Washington. By far, his best goals against average in the playoffs. He's given up his goals against this year 2.0. His Second best was 0910 with Washington when he had a 2.41 uh, in only six games played. Save percentage, again, by far the best at a 921 this year. His second best, uh, actually not by far, but 0809, he had a 918 save percentage. Uh, he's matched his high in shutouts. He's clearly, uh, obviously, highest in minutes. With a team that we talk about, you know, are they the best team out there on the ice? No. Are they the most dedicated? Possibly. They're a really good bunch of guys. And Anders Lee is having himself a, well, Conn Smythe worthy season, pro season. But Valamov might have to be the honorable mention here. And he's kind of getting brushed aside. Yeah, you're not really hearing anyone talk about him. And I think that is a really, really good place to leave the show. Sounds good to me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, Share the show, uh, whatever social media platforms you use, from MeWe to Twitter to Facebook and all of the rest. Uh, Thank you for listening. You can find me at PuckSage. Chris? You find me at the offwing, and you will find uh, next week's show around uh, the same time as this week's show. Have a great week, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and happy hockey. <laughs>